going to go in one more time here uh, about Pharaoh in this uh, sec uh, third, uh, third section, second objection of the first chapter here in Roman in chapter 9. And again, Paul has been dealing with uh, the objections raised to his Acts ministry by the Jews. And again, trying to roll this in for you and I today, uh, I would use these objections are raised by the religionist, as I like to call, as that's what I call them. Uh, denominational brethren is another way, other groups of people who don't understand the word rightly divided, but who do uh, understand that Israel is God's, was God's people in the Old Testament and so forth. Well, what are they going to say to you? They're going to raise objections. And uh, Paul lays out how to answer them. And here in the second objection, which starts in verse 14, by the way, the first one starts there in verse 6. Uh, verse 3 is the condition of Israel today in the age of grace, in the dispensation of grace, and that is Israel is accursed. They have been set aside. They've been cut off. Their special privileges have been removed, and uh, they are now just one of the, of the nations out there. They're just one of the Gentile nations. They're now to come to Christ the same way as uh, everyone does. And, he, and actually, Peter confirms that in the Acts 15 uh, message, their discussion with Paul, in that he says, we have to be saved as they do, moving forward. And so here now in verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. The second objection, the first objection, I'm sorry, verse 6, talks about the issue of the word of God being of none effect. The word of God has never been working then. If that's the case, then God's word never works. Paul says, no, it has been working all along. It's just been working through a very specific seed line. Abraham is the father, but Isaac and Jacob are the seed line, not Ishmael, not Esau, not anyone else that's born of Abraham's seed. You know, we were discussing that a couple weeks ago after the... Uh, the morning, uh, and Abraham, Sarah passes away. Abraham has another wife and goes and has a whole bunch more kids. So, there, you know, there's many people who, many groups of people, people groups who could claim Abraham as their father. God says, no, not just anyone, a very specific. So, Paul says, look, God's word has been working all along. Now, in the second objection, which is, is there unrighteousness with God? The idea there is, is God is not being fair. Not that, there, that, not that God is unrighteous in his character and who he is, but rather God is being unfair. So why is he dealing unfairly with us? And Paul brings again back into Israel's history, brings up Moses, and he brings up Pharaoh. He has a two-pronged answer to this with Moses he does the issue, he demonstrates Exodus 33 that he can that God can change the way he deals with people with man it's legitimate it doesn't violate any of his word it doesn't violate anything about who he is and he can show mercy to whom he'll show mercy then Pharaoh uh, we looked last time last week Exodus 9 there demonstrates there God also had a secondary purpose for what he was doing with Israel and back in, 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 uh, in, in their history. And that is he's dealing with the adversary, the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes that starts in Genesis 1. It's, that's, it begins way back there. And, and really, literally, the battle of the, the whole of all of it, the whole of all of human history, the whole of all the history of the earth is this battle between good and evil. Okay, and I know you say, wow, that's in the movies. No, the movies copied the Word of God. The Word of God was there first. They say that there's only like seven or eight major movie plots. All of them come out of the Word of God. So, <laughs> 
You know, you think about Solomon. He's the wisest man to ever walk the earth. No one ever wiser. And he said, other than the Lord, but we're talking about man, just a man, okay? So don't, hey, what about Jesus? Well, no kidding, duh. You know, sometimes I wonder about you guys. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't think, you've got to think some of this through, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah, I know it is, especially from you. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, okay? Wisest man goes out, searches out all of human philosophy, comes to the conclusion that, you know what, we're better back on believing and trusting in the Creator. So then when you see things come along, guess what? There ain't nothing new. It's just been couched different. It's just been made prettier. You guys know who Dave Ramsey is, right? Dave Ramsey's whole program is based off of very fundamental issues of money that was developed by Charles Given in the 60s and 70s. But you know where he got it from? The guy that taught him. Now, Ramsey's a salesman. Givens was not. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard him or listened to him. Some of you, he's drier than watching paint dry. Okay? I mean, he's dry. But Ramsey isn't. But it's the same principles. Just couched a little different, taught a little different. See, the principle, and that's what Paul's getting at here is, look, there's a spiritual battle that's been raging and the, the battle is for who's going to run the universe. Not just earth, but the universe. Is it going to be God and his wisdom, or is it going to be Satan and the, advers the adversary and his wisdom plan? Which plan's going to work out? So Paul reaches back and says, look, guys, the reason that God, if God could delay Israel's program back there with Moses... And when he was bringing them out of Egypt, which is what he does, he looks at Moses. We're going to see it here in just a minute. Moses, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He goes in. Pharaoh says no. Moses comes back and starts crying like a baby. And God says, well, there's a delay here, Moses, that you didn't know about. I know about it. I'm going to delay the release. It's going to take five, six, seven, eight months. And we've got some things to do because I have something to do. 9.17. Look at Romans 9.17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that the reason Pharaoh is there, the reason I'm going to do what I'm going to do with Pharaoh, Moses, is that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. I have a secondary purpose for a delay. So Paul says, look, Israel, today in the age of grace, if God can do that back there, set the precedent, then him doing this today is okay too. Back there, he doesn't violate anything. Here, he doesn't violate anything. God is establishing all through Israel's history, but it starts back here with Exodus. I showed you last time, as in the days of her youth, always goes back to Exodus and them leaving Egypt and says that's where the history of Israel starts because that's where the nation's born. And in that beginning days, beginning year of that nation, you know what he does? He establishes some principles that carry on throughout and delaying is one of those major principles that he develops. You know the judges. How many judges do you remember? Thirteen. Twelve good, one bad. But what did the judges do? Read the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There's no king in Israel. Off they go. But you know what would happen? God would raise up a judge. Israel would get right. The judge would die. Israel would sin worse than they did before. But you know what? When you look at the prophetic calendar as the days click, there's a delay in the prophetic calendar in the book of Judges. And everybody pitches a fit and goes, what, what, what's going on? Well, why? Because God says, look, when I count time, I'm counting it when Israel's my people. I'm doing, that's how I'm counting time. I'm not counting this other mess over here. I'm counting this. And everybody flips a gourd and gets all upset about it. And it's like, wait a minute. God has the right to do that. Look at what he did with Pharaoh. So Paul brings this in. 
And he says, listen, God had a secondary purpose with Pharaoh. And that is to go after and deal with the adversary. And literally show his power and declare his name throughout all the earth. He's got something to do. Okay? Now look at verse 18. we got 45 minutes to do an hour. All right? So look at verse 18. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now, what happens is verse 18 gets jumped all over and gets abused by the covenant theologists, by the reform thinkers, by the Calvinistic ideas, because you see that thing there at the end of that verse, whom he hardeneth, or I'm sorry, whom he will he hardeneth. And what they say is, is that Pharaoh, God walked all over Pharaoh's free will. God did not allow Pharaoh to have free choice in the matter. You see, okay? Do you, you follow that? That's what they're saying. The Calvinists say that before the foundation of the world, look, well, look at what he says. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. For, before the foundation of the world, God made it so that that Pharaoh would be there so he could do this, this, and this. And you know what happens when you come into Scripture? Scripture doesn't say that at all. Come back to Exodus with me. Exodus chapter 7. You see, most use the verse 18. Most read verse 18 to say that God just arbitrarily decides he will be merciful to whom he'll be merciful, and then to whom he will, he'll hardeneth that heart. So one day you're good to go, you're going to heaven, and you're not. Ah, today you guys, you know, you guys got a little laundry over here, so you're going to hell now, and you're not. And, and it's like, what, what in the world, where in the world did the stupidity come from? Don't read. Verse, by the way, 918, don't read that about you and I today. Don't read Romans 918 about us. I know I told you Exodus. Go back to Romans 9. Just, uh, You've got to pay attention to the context. Context is king, period. When you, if you read Romans 9, 18, Therefore he hath mercy, on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. If you read that verse into the dispensation of grace and the church, the body of Christ, you destroy Calvary. You don't just argue with it, you destroy it. You destroy the sound doctrine, the progressive revelation given to the Apostle Paul. Yeah, but Rick, Paul wrote it. Yeah, but who is he talking to? He's not talking to you and I, Gentiles. He's talking to the Jew that's raising the objection. He's talking to the context is who? Moses and Pharaoh. It's Israel. That's the context. See? The issue in 9.18, really the question that gets raised is, did God directly and arbitrarily harden Pharaoh's heart? That's the question. Did God sovereignly, you'll hear it like that, did he sovereignly hate Pharaoh from eternity past? You know that God never hated anybody? He's got a list of things he hates, but none of them are people. For God so loved the world. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet, what, good people? Ah, sinners, enemies, dregs of society. You see, he, he loves every, he comes and eats with the publicans and sinners. Why is he over there? Well, he says, I didn't come to heal. Why is the, the righteous don't need a physician. You guys think you're all that. and You don't need me. I'm the physician. So I'm over here dealing with the people who are sick, who need it. You'll, you'll hear them say, did God sovereignly decree that Pharaoh would reject God's words and wonders? Or you'll hear them say, did God sovereignly prevent Pharaoh from exercising his free will? And the answer is obviously what? No. Did God sovereignly determine the outcome? Go back to Exodus 7 now. Of all of Pharaoh's acts. And you know what? The answer is no. God doesn't do any of that. 
Yet when you come into Exodus and you talk about Pharaoh and the hardening of his heart, and this is going to be again a picture for what? All of the future hardenings of hearts. In John chapter 12, the Lord talking about Israel says they can't believe. Why? Because their hearts are hardened. Their ears are deaf. Their eyes are blind. Well, how did that happen? Where did, you know, well, it's because of unbelief. But you see, the precedent gets stuck back here with Pharaoh. Okay? God did. Yet, again, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. But how did he do it? See, that's the point. Look at Exodus 7. Look at verse 13. I just want to show you something here. Because watch God take credit for hardening Pharaoh's heart. 7.13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. See how God says, I hardened his heart? I did it. Chapter 9 of Exodus. Chapter 9, verse 12. Chapter 9, 12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Chapter 10, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. And the heart of his servants, that I might show these signs before him. Verse 20, 10, 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. So the question isn't, did God harden the heart? It's, did he step all over Pharaoh's free will? Because obviously the verses say what? He hardened his heart. But the question isn't, did he? It's, how did he harden the heart? And that's what's instructive to you and I. Look over at chapter 14. Chapter 14 of Exodus. 14, verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Go back to chapter 9 of Exodus. Chapter 9. 9, 18. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain, a very grievous hail. Well, that's not the right word. I will cause it to rain, a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Well, that's not the verse I was looking for. Okay, go back to chapter 7. You get the point. Did God harden in Pharaoh's heart? Yes. Why? How do you know? The verses say so. But watch Exodus 7 now, in verse 22. Exodus 7, verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord said. And Pharaoh turned and went in his house. Neither did he set his heart to this also. Notice what we learn now. That not only does God harden Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 722, what did he do? What happened? What's going on in verse 20 and 21? Moses and Aaron are in. They cast the rods down. Actually, this is the river turns to blood, water to blood. The magicians go out and do it again. And Pharaoh, in verse 23 turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this. He hardened his own heart. Look over at chapter 8, Exodus 8. Look at verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw this, there was respite. He hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord said. Who hardened his heart? Pharaoh did. Verse 32. 8.32, and Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Chapter 9, verse 34, and when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Isn't that interesting? So you've got God hardening Pharaoh's heart, 
and you got Pharaoh hardening his own heart. You see the dilemma. How could that be? I thought the theologians said that God, before the foundation of the world, pre-planned all this. Come over to 1 Samuel. Hold on to Exodus. 1 Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel 6. First Samuel 6 uh, is a warning to the nation of Israel about some things that are going to come their way with the hands of the Philistines. Verse 6, Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he wrought Wonderfully among them did they not let the people go, and they departed. Look at what is, what is Israel doing. Same thing Pharaoh did. God warning Pharaoh, I'm sorry, warning Israel, don't you do what Pharaoh did. Now, if God, before, 1 Samuel 6, 6, if God before the foundation of the world determined Pharaoh to harden his heart, then he had to also determine who? Israel to harden their heart. But that is not how this works when you read Scripture. The question is not who is hardening whose heart. The question is, is how can both God and Pharaoh be the cause of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? Because God and Pharaoh both take credit for doing it. And again, if God had pre-planned all this, then the verses would have said something different. It wouldn't have said Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and it wouldn't have said God, it would have said God before the foundation of the world said Pharaoh was going to do this. You follow that? And guess what? He would not have had to warn Israel, go back to Exodus, go back to Exodus 3. God would not have had to warn Israel not to follow in Pharaoh's footsteps. By him, just by him warning Israel not to follow in Pharaoh's footsteps tells you that God allows Israel to do what? Exercise its own free will in the matter. If it doesn't, if, it, if he's not, and we got a pre-planned deal going, then he would have never said, don't do what Pharaoh's going to, he'd have said, you're going to do what Pharaoh did. But he doesn't say that. He says, don't do that. In Amos, and in, I'm sorry, in Hosea, Hosea goes, the Lord sends him up. Actually, the minor prophets, really all of them, is really all, even though they're writing to northern tribes and southern tribes, is really a, 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 not only an indictment against the ten northern tribes, but it is a warning to Judah not to do what your big sister did. Your big sister went out a-whoring after other gods. Don't do that. Because see her result. Her result was the Assyrian invasion and the fifth course of judgment literally happening almost immediately on them. Babylon into Gentile captivity. Judah, don't do that. Don't do what your big sister did. That's a, that's a song, but okay. And you know what Judah did? Judah made a willful decision of their own free will to do what? Do exactly what the northern ten did. Exodus chapter 3. So God doesn't violate Pharaoh's free will. Free will is a wonderful thing. It's all through Scripture. It's the first institution of creation. When God looked at Adam and said, Adam, you can eat of everything in the garden but the one tree, he's testing man's ability to make the come to the appropriate conclusion you need to come to the right conclusion adam that god's word is what i need to follow and not what i want to not the adversary and his wisdom and not what he's telling me that means that what I, I don't know if you guys ever really thought about when lucifer fell isaiah 14 we see the description of it why didn't God wipe him out right then and there? Man hadn't been created yet. Why did God allow Lucifer and the fall to continue? Why didn't he just wipe them out and start over? Now, he judges it. We see that in 1-2. But he didn't wipe him out. 
Because what does God love? Freedom. So if God is, God is perfect, everything's perfect, to then in where does your choice come? You don't have a choice until you have what? Something else on the table. Now I can choose good or I can choose evil. So he leaves it there. So that man would have the ability to say what? I'm going to take the good and the good things of God's word and live or I'm going to reject it and take the good things of what I want to do and then subsequently die. Mo, here with Moses, with Pharaoh, what Paul's bringing up is, hey, again, this is more against what the theology out there is. Good Exodus 3, verse 19. Because they say that God violated his free will, set it so that it would, Pharaoh was raised up this way. Now look at 3.19. Exodus 3.19. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let, your, let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Now, God's talking to Moses, and he, he's going to, verse 15, and God said moreover unto Moses, you're going to go in, you're going to do this, but look at verse 19, I, and I am, what, sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Notice what it, it doesn't say, I will cause the king of Egypt to not let you go. See that? He doesn't say, I over here. No, he says, I'm sure what? He ain't going to let you go. You see, God sends the right person, the right sort of person in Moses. He sends, by the way, he... He's going to make the right sort of demand on Pharaoh. And he's going to do it in the right manner. And he's going to do it over the right amount of time. That brings about the very events that are needed to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Causing the reaction. Okay? So God is sending the right guy, Moses and Aaron, but Moses. He's sending him with the right message. He's sending him with the right time frame. He's sending him right on time, right, doing the right things to expose what's in Pharaoh's heart. To expose what's always been there in sinful man. Again, I remind you, Pharaoh in the eyes of the Egyptian is the reincarnation of the god Horus. So he's God. We're going to see this in just a minute. He, anyway, i got to get off get get going. God doesn't make Pharaoh do anything. But God knows Pharaoh's heart. God knows the man, doesn't he? So God takes the issues that are in Pharaoh's heart, the issues of his thinking, and causes him to react. He didn't do anything that Pharaoh didn't already possess. Rather, he exploits what's going on in Pharaoh's heart. And that's why I said a minute ago, the question isn't, did God? The question is, is how did God harden the heart? How did Pharaoh harden his heart? And in Scripture, there's two ways that God hardens the heart. First, he does it with his word. Here's God's word. And then secondly, he does it with his wonders, the miracles, the signs. And the way that he provokes Pharaoh's responses. Because, again, Pharaoh is already predisposed to react a certain way. He doesn't like Israel. Why? Because there's a million and a half of them to his little bitty group of people. They outnumber the Egyptians like five to one, some books. You know, he's got this great multi. And by the way, in Pharaoh's mind, who are they? They're slaves, aren't they? Come over to chapter five. They're slaves. They're nobodies. But yet they, got, they outnumber us. So, I got, so he, in his heart, he already is predisposed to react a certain way. 
And what God's word is going to do, what the miracles are going to do, is bring out what's in Pharaoh's heart. Look at 5.1. Watch, watch God do this. This is number one, his word, okay? And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and, what's that word? Told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. You notice that Moses and Aaron didn't go in and ask Pharaoh. What'd they do? They told Pharaoh, here's the word of God. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's not a memo that says, I think this might be a good idea. It's a, let my people go. Here's what the word of God says. Now, again, Pharaoh, he's looking at the representation of the, the mouthpieces of a slave nation. These are nothing but slaves. Now, watch the reaction, verse 2. And Pharaoh said, sure, no problem. I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go for it, man. Woohoo! Put one on the log for me. No. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? See, obey his what? His voice, his word, and let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. You see, Pharaoh's response isn't positive, is it? It's negative. I'm God. Pharaoh, I'm a God. And I don't know who this other God is. He could be Joe Schmo from down at the courthouse. I don't know. So no, I'm not going to. And they said, verse 3, I, I, I'm, well, just hold on to that thought for just a minute. I don't know him. Come over to, uh, we're, we're, we're going to stay in Exodus, okay? Look, at, look over at chapter 9, but we're going to bounce around. Pharaoh's response Actually, in chapter 5, you can let it go for right now. The rest of that chapter, in chapter 5, Pharaoh goes out and intensifies the suffering on Israel. Takes away things, extends the work day. Why? Because you know what he's saying? If you've got time to request for a three-day weekend, a holiday, to go do something, then you ain't working hard enough. So you need to be working harder. harder. And you know what he does? He puts the screws to them. Now Moses and Aaron, Moses is like, oh my goodness, what did I do? And you know what Israel says? Moses, shut up. You don't speak for us. Where's our union delegate? Get a boom. You know, they, they quickly jump Moses. Moses goes to God going, hey, what's going on? Look at, look at 9, uh, Exodus 9. Look at down at verse 14. Or verse 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and said, Unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon what? Not the country, not Egypt, but who? Thine heart. And upon thy servants and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. What's God's do? What's, what's the word of God say? Let my people go. Pharaoh's response exposes the condition of his heart. So God's going to focus his attack on Pharaoh, but he's focusing it in on his what? That heart issue. That's why, you just hold on to 9, flip back there to 7.23. We read it a minute ago, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. What's God going to, go back to nine now, what's God exposing in Pharaoh? Through his word, the heart. Look at 9.15, or 9.16. And in every deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, that my name may be, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. That's Paul's quote, talking about Pharaoh, verse 17. As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, and thou wilt not let them go. What did Isaiah 14, what is the five-fold plan of, of uh, Lucifer? I will. Five times. What's Pharaoh saying? Same thing. He exalteth himself. He's, that's the problem. I'm in charge. It's all about me. Come over to chapter 10. 
chapter 10 and verse 3. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast. If thou, notice, if thou, what? Refuse. What's he doing? He's, Pharaoh's standing there saying, I'm, I'm God. I don't know who you are. Now, he does know who he is. Okay? Every man's born with that instinct of instantly understanding that there is a God. Romans 1's clear. But what is he doing? I'm in charge. You're not. Come over to chapter 15. Chapter 15 of Exodus. 15, 9. 15.9, the, the enemy said, it's interesting, they've come out of Exodus, they're going to cross the Red Sea, they're crossing the Red Sea, and notice how verse 9 says this, he doesn't say Pharaoh said, he says what, the enemy said, 15.9, the enemy said, I will pursue I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. See the I wills? That's his heart. God's exposing that. What was God's word to Pharaoh? Let my people go. So then go out here and worship me and do what needs to be done. You know? How hard is that? But what did it do? It exposed the thinking, the heart attitude of man. Come over to chapter 18 of Exodus, 18.11. Now I know, 18.11, this is Jethro talking. And he says, and I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein they dealt, how? Proudly. He was above them. The proudful bloodlust of Pharaoh's heart, which, by the way, is the same bloodlust, prideful issue of the adversary's heart. God knew it was there. He just exposed it. Looked over and said, here's what's really, here's the real issue here. The real issue isn't, Pharaoh, that you don't have enough people to build your stuff and do things. The real issue is, is that your heart is wicked, wickedly deceitful. It's above it all, and, and I'm going to get you. Now, come over to Proverbs 29. I told you we stay in Exodus, but you've got to see Proverbs 29. Because Proverbs 29, when you talk about hardening of heart, Proverbs 29, verse 1, is the verse to always remember. Actually, I have it written almost every time I see their heart heartening or their deaf ears and their blind eyes, Proverbs 29.1. Because, well, again, we're talking about how does God do this? He does it with his word. Look at 29.1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Now, notice those words in that verse very carefully because the mainline Christianity reads them quickly and, reads, and actually reads them to say something they're not saying. He that being, what, often reproved. They'll say, he that is being reproved. And they'll, often reproved, does what? Hardeneth his neck. See, what they'll do is they'll read that to make God be the one hardening the neck. But who's really hardening the neck there? The guy that's being often reproved does. Do you see that? Okay. Well, when you take, when God's word shows up and says, don't do that, do this. By the way, Paul, there are rules in grace. I call them the laws of grace. Where Paul says, don't do that. You do this. Now, the difference between the laws of grace and the Mosaic law is that the, laws of the Mosaic law said, if you disobey, you're cursed, and you don't get the blessing. The laws of grace says, you're blessed. You're good to go. 
you should live this way because you're good to go. You're not going to lose anything if you go, you know, drink beer and eat pizza and don't go to church and don't study your Bible. Okay? That's what everybody thinks. You've lost it all. No. You're in Christ. You're sealed. You're good to go. But there are lifestyles. Don't do that. Do this. But when God's word says that, and then your heart says, but I want to do that. And your response is negative. Does God's word change? Doggone it, man. Rick's talking about me again. I don't want to talk about nobody. <laughs> right, man. Rick, that was a great message. Hit me right. I'm man. You know, over and over again. And I, I, it's funny. I had a guy one time years ago. We've been doing this, what, 20-something years? But in the ministry, actually, I was a young man at Shorewood, and I heard him say, you know what, that preacher, he's talking to me every Sunday. And I'm sitting there going, but do you realize that there, there was other people in the congregation that are probably going through the same thing you are? That, so I know my dad, I know how I teach. We're not talking about you personally. We're talking about issues and how to live. And I'm sitting there going, you know, when you hear that over and over and over and over and over and over again, and you're responding negatively to it, what begins to happen? Well, I ain't going to church today because all you're going to do is talk about me. And I'm not talking about you. What do you do? You harden your neck. The result, the, con the word of God says, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, over and over and over. And, you know, and when the response is no, the result is hardening. So the standard tells us what to expect. The word of God tells us what to expect. What are the expectations? What are our responsibilities? What are we to do? And our response to that is no. Then what, what's going on here? Well, both God, his word, and us, i.e. Pharaoh, are what? Involved in the equation. Remember I showed you God took credit, Pharaoh took credit. How can that be? Because both are involved in the equation. It's one plus one equals hardening of the heart. There is a reaction to the word of God. That, do you follow that? God's word says this. Pharaoh reacted. Hardened. God's word says, don't you do that. You say, no, I ain't going to do that because I want to do it. And you know what happens? Over time, the hardening sets in. You got that? That's how both are involved. Because it's God's word saying the do's and the don'ts, the standard, and our reaction to it. Okay? Now, quickly, go back to Exodus chapter 4, and let's see the miracle side, the wonder side. Exodus 4. So God, how does Pharaoh, how does God harden his heart? Well, one, the word of God is involved. Let my people go. I'm not going to do it. Let my people go. Twelve times he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said no eleven times. The last one, he finally said, get out of here. Here, help me out. Let me help you move out. Exodus 4. God is also going to use miracles, wonders, signs. And he's going to use them in such a way that there is really only one or maybe two responses. Believe it or not. That's it. Believe or not believe. Believe it or reject it. Look at 421. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine heart. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. Now think about that. What did he just put into, what did he just show Moses? He show, well, look at chapter 7. Let's just stay on the wonder thing. 7, 3. Chapter 7, verse 3. We'll get back over there. 7, 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Chapter 10, verse 1. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. Chapter 11, verse 10. And Moses and Pharaoh did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now go back to chapter 4. So the, so the dynamic here. God is proving he's the only God. And all of the gods of Egypt, there's ten of them, that matches the ten plagues, are defeated. He's the only God. Now watch what God does with Moses. Remember, we just read in verse 20, chapter 4, verse 21, Moses, you go show Pharaoh all these signs. Okay? But I'm going to tell you, he ain't going to let you go, and he's going to harden his heart. Now look at 4.1. And Moses answered and said, but, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Mo God's telling Moses, you're going to go and speak. Moses, is, he's wimping out. He's crying. He's whining. He's complaining. He's shifting. Exodus 4.1. He, he's got, he, I, 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 I stutter, 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 so I can't speak. And he's like, Just, Aaron will go with you. But when you go... I'm going, to give you some, I'm going to give you some signs. The first one is the serpent. Verse 2. And the Lord said unto, unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. So what does he say? Cast it down, becomes a serpent, reach down, pick it back up, right? All right? Then he says there in verse 6, And the Lord said, Furthermore, unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he puts a hand in his coat, and what happens? Comes out, it's leprous, puts it back in, comes out, it's, it's snow white again, right? So we've got two signs. we got the snake, and we got the hand. But we got a third one, verse 9. Taking the river and turning it to blood. you got three signs, Moses, verse 9. And it, and it, and it shall come, well, verse 8. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign. Notice the sign is designed to speak something. And neither hearken unto the voice that thou shalt take of the... Uh, I'm sorry. So not believe of these two signs, neither hearken unto the, thy voice. What am I at? Verse 8. I'm sorry. I was in 9. Neither hearken to the voice of the first that they will believe the voice of the latter sign, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, thou, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, and the water uh, which thou takest out of the ridge shall become blood upon dry land. Do you realize that even though they're going to show the signs, that they're not going to do what? They're not going to believe? So just be, remember the rich man and Lazarus, He's down there, he looks, says, Abraham, send somebody up from the dead, they'll listen to him. No, they, you know what Abraham says? Nope. They got Moses and they got the law and the prophets let them, and the Psalms, let them read that. They got the word of God. They're not going to believe a sign. God does all, Jesus Christ does all those miracles in his earthly ministry, and yet they still, right off the bat, want to kill him. They're rejecting. What's Pharaoh doing? They're hardening their heart. The two signs, going to believe it or not, all right, I give you a third one. By the way, three strikes and you're out. You got three strikes. And what happens? Bam. Now come over to chapter 7. Now watch the reaction by Pharaoh here. In chapter 7, Moses goes in. Again, like always. Oh, shoot. 7-9. When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a, what? Serpent. So what are they, what's going to happen here? Here's the first sign. Pharaoh, the, again, the he's going to go into Pharaoh. He's going to start doing the wonders, the miracles, the signs. And again, because there's a sign, doesn't mean they're going to believe it. So he... Throws it down, verse 10, and Moses and Aaron went unto Pharaoh, and they did as the Lord had commanded. And Pharaoh and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and, uh, and before his serpents, and it became a serpent. I'm sorry, before his servants, <laughs> and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Uh, we know that to be Janice and Jambres going to do this from the, the remoter context of Paul, given to Paul. 
And he says, they also did in like manner, verse 11 there, with their enchantments, and they cast down every man his rod, and they became servants. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. What hardened his heart? Not the word of God, but here, but what? A miracle, a sign. By the way, Janice and Jambres, two to one. You know what the adversary looks? He always looks like he's winning. Two to one. How many people did you have at church today? Fifty. Well, we had a we had fifteen hundred. We had five thousand. What it always and you know where God's working? He's working in one, not the two. See. But what does the adversary do? Boom. Heart problem. Heart verse thirteen. Now drop over to verse twenty. By the way, he does that with his hand and so forth. Verse twenty. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh. And what happened? The rivers went to what? Blood. Verse 21, the fish die. But what happens in verse 22? Pharaoh's guys duplicate it. They turn. Verse, 20, verse 22, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and you know what? they duplicated as well. The response, Pharaoh, verse 23, what happened? His heart was hardened. He hardened his heart. When he saw the miracle, it didn't change anything. Chapter 8, verse 15. They go in. Uh, the frogs. Could you imagine waking up to frogs everywhere? Frogs everywhere. Now the frogs begin to die. And they begin to go away. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. They're, they're starting to, de de verse 14, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. <laughs> Exodus 8, 14. Verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was what? Respite. He hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them. As You know what? Pharaoh looked around. He saw all that happening. And you know what? He said, eh. God isn't really doing this. Something else. By the way, do you know what the Bible haters and all the procrastinator dudes out there and the theologians and the all, you know what they say? Well, it was the mystical moon of the lunar eclipse of this and did this and did that and caused all the frogs to come out. No, it didn't. It was what? God. What did Pharaoh say? Well, maybe God just isn't in this anyway. Verse 18, look at what shows up there. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Now you got lice. Uh, by the way, hold on here. Look over chapter 9, just real quick. Chapter 9. And look at verse 34 again. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder were, what? Ceased. Respite. Temporary peace, t calm, temporary truce. But yet, really, there's no peace because what did he do? He hardened his heart. Now go back to 8. 818, you've got lice. Now, up to a point, Pharaoh's guys have been able to do what? Duplicate stuff. But now watch what they tell Pharaoh. These are Pharaoh's own guys, 818. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. The, 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 his guys couldn't duplicate it. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh. Now, who is Pharaoh in their mind? He's a god. He's the god. This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. This is the finger of God. Now, you have to remember, the finger of God, that's the spirit. When Moses gets the Ten Commandments and the, and the finger of God writes it, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. You look over there in Daniel, and there's the writing on the wall, and they see a hand do it. That's God's hand doing it. That's the word. And you know what? But you know what these magicians are telling their God? You ain't God. You're not the true God. The true God is the God of Israel. So you might want to let them go. 
The true God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're not that. But what is his response? Just hardening up. But see what the miracle did. It pushed him. So you've got a process here. Come over to 2 Thessalonians 2. Just quickly here. You've got a process. One, the miracle happens. He's du- he can duplicate it. Okay? No big deal. We got it. There's a respite. Number two, there's a respite here. There's a ceasing in it. So the, maybe God isn't the big God at, at all. Maybe it's just not a big deal anyway. Maybe it was the moon and the, the, you know, the motion and the lotion and all that stuff. But then what happens? They look at him and say, you're not God. This was the finger of God. You see, God uses the miracles and he uses his word And it causes Pharaoh's heart to be exposed as to what it truly is. God, Pharaoh doesn't reject because his heart was hardened. Pharaoh hardened his heart because he rejected God's word and the miracle. You follow that? See, we usually say, well, he rejected because his heart was hardened. No, he hardened his heart because he did what? He rejected. He rejected the word and the miracle. Now look at 2 Thessalonians 2 because Paul moves us out into the future day of the Antichrist. Verse 3 there, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the career of the Antichrist, into the 70th week of Daniel. But what I want you to see is look down at verse number, well, verse 8. And then shall that wicked, you see the capital W? There's a title. There's a personification here. There's this guy's name, the wicked, be revealed. The Antichrist is revealed. The man of sin, there he is, boom. The the personification of the adversary's wisdom plan, wise plan, there it is. Now watch verse 9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. What's the next word? Because. Why do they perish? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Why do they perish? Because they're rejecting the truth of God's word and they're believing a bunch of signs and lying wonders and lying signs and things over here. They've been deceived. That's why the next verse he says, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they might, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. The masses willfully reject the truth. And because they do that, because they willfully reject the truth, the adversary, the Antichrist, is going to come up, and you know what God says? You're going to believe him before you ever believe me. Because that's where your heart is set. Your heart is set to believe him, not to believe me. You've rejected the truth. And you're following the lie. Again, you go to John 12, you see the Lord say the same thing about the nation of Israel. So when you come back to Romans 9, don't let somebody use Romans 9 to beat you over the head about God walking all over Pharaoh's free will, because he doesn't. God says, here's my word, believe it or not. He says to Israel, here's a miracle, believe it or not. Now, there's no miracles being done today. That's why... He'll hold the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1, 2 Thessalonians 2. He's not, today, where do you hold the truth? Righteously, believe it, or you don't believe it, period. There's no miracles being done today. When, oh, some miracle happened. No, that, it wasn't of God. And actually, 2 Thessalonians 2, I'd be very careful to say it was of God because of that little lying wonder thing. You have to remember who the adversary is. He's just that one tick off of what's real, 
And he's a great counterfeiter. So Paul, answering that second objection, he's not unrighteous in the way he's dealing with Israel today. Look at the history. And he's not violating anything when he dealt with Israel this way. So don't let anyone ever use Romans 9.18 to say, See, God doesn't, there's no free wills. But look at what he, no, there is. That comes from a failure, that comes from a wish of something to be that's not scripturally accurate. Okay? All right, well, we got a 45 minutes, we did it in 48 minutes, Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, we thank you for who you are and who we are in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, next 